Good afternoon, and welcome to today's installment of the 2020 January series. My name is Carolyn DeCam. I'm a junior from Muskegon, Michigan, studying sociology. Now would you please, I'll take a moment to silence your cell phones. As you are doing so, I would like to welcome guests at all of our 60 remote viewing locations, including Redlands, California, Big Rapids, Michigan, Bradenton, Florida, and Winchester, Virginia. We're so grateful that you're viewing with us today. And now, would you please join me as we open in a word of prayer? God, we come before you with grateful and expectant hearts. We thank you for the capacities you've given us for compassion and for dialogue, and for your grace as we navigate what it means to engage in Christian fellowship. We ask for your blessing on the work we do here today. It's in your name we pray, our King and our friend. Amen. And now, Stacy Wieland, Professor of Communication, will introduce our guests. Our speakers today are two scientists, both committed Christians, both passionate and knowledgeable about origins, each arriving at very different conclusions. Dr. Todd Charles Woods Wood holds a BS in biology from Liberty University and a PhD in biochemistry from the University of Virginia. He is founding president of the Core Academy of Science, a research and educational organization that helps Christians understand science from a young earth creationist perspective. Dr. Daryl R. Falk holds a PhD in genetics from the University of Alberta. He is professor emeritus at Point Loma University and senior advisor to BioLogos, an organization that contributes to the discussion of the relationship between science and religion from a Christian evolutionist perspective. Given the scientific background of today's guests, you may be anticipating that today's lecture is fundamentally about origins. And while we will at some level engage those important and contentious questions, they are not our central focus. Instead, those questions will provide us with a context for considering how we engage those with whom we disagree. At its heart, today's discussion will help us think more deeply about communication and what resources the Christian tradition offers for engaging in gracious dialogue. In effect, we are being invited today into a conversation that Todd and Daryl have been engaged in since 2013, a conversation that they discuss at length in their book, The Fool and the Heretic, How Two Scientists Move Beyond Labels to a Christian Dialogue About Creation, creation and Evolution. Todd and Daryl were invited on and guided in that journey by Christian nonprofit, the Colossian Forum, which seeks to equip leaders to transform cultural conflicts into opportunities for spiritual growth and witness. Rob Barrett, who serves as Chief Programming and Innovation Officer for the Colossian Forum, will guide and moderate the conversation today. Our speakers will be available to greet you in the West Lobby following the presentation, where their book will also be available for sale. Calvin University is grateful to Issachar Fund for underwriting today's presentation. Please welcome our guests. So my two friends, my two friends Daryl and Todd, are in the middle of a disagreement. Uh, their disagreement matters very much to them, and it's something they've dedicated their careers to exploring. And they both can't be right. So Dr. Todd Wood, he believes the entire universe is several thousand years old, that animal, plant, and human life appeared suddenly over the course of three days, as the Bible describes, and he believes that humans have a biological history that's distinct from that of animals. Because he believes these things, against mainstream science, Todd is counted a fool by many. But he's at least a well-educated one, as you heard in the introduction. He knows the scientific evidence for evolution, and he believes the arguments are reasonable, just wrong. 
Todd sees evolution as incompatible with the way he reads the Bible. So he's dedicated his professional career to searching for a new scientific model, one that would fit with the biblical story. So perhaps Todd is doubly a fool, once for disbelieving evolution, and again for wasting his gifts by chasing a creationist scientific model to displace evolution. Daryl Falk, on the other hand, accepts mainstream science on origins, and he believes the Earth is roughly four and a half billion years old, with our human species, Homo sapiens, appearing about 300,000 years ago. Like Todd, Daryl has strong scientific credentials, and Daryl believes that humans emerged as part of a continuous process of development from other species, coming to bear God's image somewhere in that process. Daryl's understanding of origins stands against a straightforward reading of the Bible. And so Daryl has been counted a heretic, perhaps first gaining that label from himself as he wondered if he could hold on to his Christian faith while believing that evolution was true. But his faith weathered the storm, as he described in his book, Coming to Peace with Science. He later led Biologos, a Christian organization that promotes the compatibility of evolution and Christian faith. But some see Daryl corrupting Christianity by compromising with mainstream science. One well-known evangelical leader has called Daryl's work a heinous crime that is, quote, destroying people's confidence in Scripture. Such Christians see Daryl as a dangerous heretic. So you may have thought the evolution debate was long ago settled and forgotten, but not that much has really changed over the near 100 years since the Scopes Monkey trial. Polling for the last four decades has shown that at least 40% of Americans believe in six-day creation. About 30% of Americans are confident that humans did not evolve from animals. And that rises to 64% for white evangelicals. As with so many issues, we're a divided nation, both in how we read the Bible and in deciding whether to visit the Smithsonian or the Creation Museum. Our lives are increasingly filled with polarizing disagreements. It's hard to look at CNN and Fox News on the same day and to believe that we're looking at the same world. The research of social psychologists rings true. We quickly bond with people like us, and then we come to see people in the other group as inferior, intellectually defective, even morally suspect, even branching into evil and dangerous. But we Christians know deep in our bones that we belong together. And so disagreements like that between Todd and Daryl do not sit easily with us. Seven years ago, my organization, the Colossian Forum, invited Daryl and Todd to meet as Christian brothers. We didn't ask them to like each other. We didn't ask them to overlook their disagreement, but to bring it right into the middle of Christian fellowship. But before we talk about that first meeting, I thought we could start by asking each to describe something of the us-them dynamics that they've experienced between their camps over the years. So, Todd, maybe you could start for us. Sure. Us. Um, thinking about my own perceptions, and I, and I want to preface this by saying, you know, there's, there is my perception of what the debate is about, which is my own perception. Then there is things that are asserted by the larger creationist community that may not be something that I would go along with. So I'm going to try to make sure I make that distinction. Um, my perception, and it's gotten hard to describe it after all of this work with Daryl, um, but I see myself in a sense as um, upholding the ancient faith of uh, Christianity, the ancient beliefs that we have about the way Genesis needs to be interpreted and the way it interacts with the theology of Christianity. The way, it, the way it sets the stage for the crucifixion and resurrection, which then becomes a rather important aspect of Christian theology. Um, I, think it's, I think it's very common for people in my tribe to assert that you know, creation is absolutely foundational. I prefer to see it like a, like a large tapestry with threads that are dangling. And you can pull certain threads and you're fine, but there are other threads that you start pulling and things begin to really unravel and come apart. So I'm not, I don't want to assert that my perspective 
on creation is essential for Christian theology and Christian belief. But I do believe once you start picking at those kinds of things, things start to come apart. And you may be able to hold them together in certain ways, perhaps out of personal stubbornness, but um, they, they are going to come apart. Now, my community also uh, asserts rather strongly that we are the only ones who have any reasonable arguments in this discussion. We have the answers, and um, no one, why would anyone ever be an evolutionist that's dumb and stupid? Why would you believe the earth is billions of years old? That's, that's illogical and irrational. And uh, so the reason for the, the, the commonality of evolution is uh, money. They want grant money, they want their jobs, scientists want this and that and prestige and so forth. And so they are willing to overlook the glaring problems of evolution in order to maintain and, and promote their perspectives. Um, I don't think, you know, I've worked a lot with evolutionary biologists in my career, both as um, a graduate student and since graduate school, I continue to make my presence known at various conferences uh, and participate as I can in, in, in uh, research projects. And I don't, I don't think anybody's trying to pull the wool over my eyes or trying to sell me something or um, lying or anything like that. Uh, I think there are reasons to believe evolution is true. I just happen to think science is going to progress and show there's a better model. As far as the us versus them dynamic, uh, on a group level, um, at the tribal level, let's say that, uh, it's mostly hostility. You know, when you think that you're the only one in the debate that is rational and logical and truly Christian, then what are you going to say? Uh, and there have been people in my camp who have looked at the fool and the heretic and thought, this is a shameful exercise, you shouldn't even be talking to Daryl, um, he is that bad. Um, sorry, Daryl. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it, and, and, and it goes both ways, right? So they look at us as morons and fools, and now liar and heretic is becoming a very common name that they'll call us, um, which is, you know, that just breeds more liar and heretic accusations the other direction. Uh, on a personal level, as far as I can tell, if there is personal level, it's either between people who really don't know much about the situation or it's um, Facebook-style social media blasting and it gets nowhere and no one's really edified by it. So other than that, it's pretty absent in terms of personal interaction. So it's very dysfunctional. So, Daryl, how would you describe the us-them dynamics from the evolutionary creationist camp? Okay, first of all, just a little bit about us and, uh, and, and uh, speaking for myself, but also trying to uh, summarize what uh, colleagues of mine would probably, would probably affirm. Uh, we would believe that God created through the process of evolution. Uh, we would accept mainstream science as being uh, largely correct in terms of what it has to say about the age of the earth, the age of the universe, and, uh, and the evolution of, uh, and evolution of all of life, including, including humans, that God created through that, through that process, through those processes. Uh, we would think in terms of the Bible's purpose as not being, uh, as not being to provide us with a scientific account of, uh, of creation, but rather the Bible's purpose is to uh, lead us to God, help us to grow into a relationship with God, to understand and love God and understand how much God loves us. Uh, we would probably say that for God to have put a lot of detail in there uh, that, uh, and address questions that we're asking today uh, would have detracted down through the uh, centuries, would have detracted from the central message uh, of the Bible. So that's a, a, a quick little nutshell as far as I'm, as from my perspective as, uh, as what people in the evolutionary uh, creation group would, uh, would probably uh, suggest. 
Um, with respect to them, um, the other point of view of which Todd is, uh, is a representative and, uh, and a very good friend. Um, uh, we nonetheless, even though we would have uh, good friends that would hold this view, um, we would feel largely, I'm not saying this would be true of Todd himself, but uh, are, are, are maybe largely unaware of the strengths of the scientific data. That, that is not true of, uh, of Todd, but it is true, I, we would say, I think, in terms of many of the people that hold to a young earth view and, uh, and, uh, and God not having created through the evolutionary process. Um, we would think that, uh, we would probably think that there is a danger that they will, that individuals who hold that view may mislead uh, Christians, uh, especially, especially Christian young people, in a way that because of the scientific inaccuracy of the view, because we would say that the, fact the uh, view is, is wrong, uh, that there is a, a real danger, especially amongst young people, that once they become more aware, uh, especially if they, uh, if they are science majors, as they become aware, more aware of just how strong the data is, that they will have difficulty putting that, and certainly that's my experience as a professor, uh, a number of former students that I've had have, have struggled with how to put things together once they recognize that it's not quite as clear as they, they thought in terms of a literalistic view of creation. And so our concern would be that, um, would be that, that there can be great damage with this view and also it can serve as a, as a barrier that might, for individuals who might otherwise want to become Christians, desire to follow Jesus, but there's this barrier in front of them, and that is that they would think that if I'm going to be a Christian, does that mean that I'm going to have to uh, believe such and such in terms of age of earth and, uh, and, and evolution? And whether they know it or not, and uh, Todd would not say that that's a barrier, uh, Todd would not say that that's anywhere near as important as coming to know Jesus himself. And uh, we've talked a lot about that type of thing. But on the other hand, uh, many, many people who, um, who are not Christians wouldn't know that. And that what they see is that perspective and uh, that, this is, uh, that this is what Christians believe. And so our concern is that it, it can serve as a barrier that would, be able, that would play a role in preventing people uh, from following Jesus. Um, as far as uh, organizations are concerned, us versus them, there are different organizations, some of which represent uh, the, uh, the position that is very, very different than mine, and other organizations that represent uh, positions very similar to mine. Uh, in, in many cases, the organizations uh, are not really talking to each other, uh, but there are exceptions, and uh, I've been privileged to be a part with uh, Deb Harzma being the leader of Biologos and uh, Hugh Ross being the leader of Reasons to Believe, uh, an organization that um, believes that God did not create through the evolutionary process. And, uh, and, 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 th and that's a, a wonderful exception in terms of organizations having very fine conversations and growing in love for each other. So it does happen, but doesn't always happen, and the organizations, to some extent, uh, exist within, within silos. Um, on, the, on the personal basis, uh, far too often, individuals uh, uh, exist uh, different and exist in silos and, uh, and, and seldom interact with each other, and so thereby don't really know what the other point of view is. Not really in terms of the kinds of things you learn from a conversation. And so uh, on a personal basis, too often, uh, we are in our own groups talking to each other and, uh, and not really uh, learning and understanding and growing in appreciation for each other. And that's been the biggest part of our project during these last uh, six and a half years has been to get to know each other and to understand how could you think like you do? Uh, Todd, to think, Todd to ask that question of me and me to ask that question of him and spend uh, quite a lot of time trying to understand just how, how uh, given the similarities of our backgrounds, how we could come to think as we do. Yeah. Well, thanks. So we at the Colossian Forum saw this dividing wall that had grown up between these two communities and saw this as the kind of wall that Jesus likes to knock down that divide up his body. So we decided to try an experiment. This was really a, it really was an experiment. Um, and our approach can be described in these three steps that we follow, gather, practice, and witness. And what we do is grounded on Colossians 1.17 from where we get our name. In Christ, all things hold together. 
When we trust that it's Jesus' work to hold all things together, that changes the pressure on us from one of getting this all straightened out and figuring out how it all holds together to participating in how Jesus is holding it together, which means then we have to practice our obedience to Christ in this. So what we do, gather, we take Christians who disagree, like these two fine gentlemen, and invite them to come together as Christians. That's the tricky bit, to bring all of your Christian commitments, all that you know the Christian faith calls you to, to bring that in the room along with your disagreement, together in the room, and all your sinfulness. You're gonna have to reflect on your own heart throughout this whole process, and we gather as Christians. And then we practice. We practice because it's not easy, and it doesn't come naturally to do what we do. So we practice holding two things together, loving God and one another, in other words, living out the Christian faith, and our deeply held disagreement. It's kind of easy to disagree and forget to love, and it's kind of easy to love and leave your disagreement behind. But to do those two things at the same time is incredibly challenging, and that's where we find fruit, which leads to the third step, gather, practice, and witness. We hope to see and witness the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst as we pursue faithfulness to Christ in the middle of our disagreement. And we look for something surprising and good to happen with hope. So trusting all these things, we invited these two guys, along with some other leaders in the origins debates, to spend a few days together at a B&B here in Grand Rapids some years ago. Our agenda was not to find agreement and to walk out being on the same side. Instead, we had a very clear agenda to grow in Christ together through worship and prayer, story sharing, and sharp questions, like Daryl just said. How in the world has following Jesus led you there? And to actually address those things. Before talking about what happened, I want to share a rejection we got from another prominent origins leader about participating in such a thing. He had tried it before. And I used this as a challenge before us. He wrote to us and said, we always began each meeting with fellowship, biblical encouragement, time of prayer. The atmosphere was always cordial and collegial. I've given a serious effort to understand the positions, purposes, and passions of those who do not share our commitment on origins. But I have canceled any further participation in those meetings. I saw no progress, and indeed a growing distance and hardening of personal angst that could not possibly produce anything positive. And so that rejection presented us with a challenge. Would we see anything positive? Or would this just harden us? Or would we superficially chant kumbaya? Um, Would anything good come from this? So I thought bridging into this, I could ask each of you to say how you responded to the initial invitation. Todd? I didn't want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I had seen early on, you know, I, I started graduate school in 94, and the internet was a new thing, and I had seen debates spiral out of control and become acrimonious very quickly, and it didn't matter whether you were arguing about creation and evolution or Kirk versus Picard, it seemed to be <laughs> equally defective, and I just decided then and there, I, I, just, I don't want to get into arguments with people about this, it's just unhelpful. Um, so it was, a, it was a bit of a, you worked on me a long time. <laughs> I did. Before I, before I finally said, all right, I'll give it a try. I mean, after all, what could it hurt one weekend and then I don't have to hear about it anymore. And so, yeah. I remember I was, you saying, what's going to happen? I'll say my bit. Daryl say you're wrong. Daryl say his bit. I'll say he's wrong. What else is there to say? Yeah. What, what else is there going to, yeah. And who knew? Who knew? So... Yeah, there were, I, I had no interest in, in doing this at all. I just thought it was pointless and futile and going to probably lead, as, as this other gentleman indicated, to hard feelings and anger and angst and who needs that? So I, I nah, nah, right. find somebody else to do it. I didn't want to do it. So Daryl, you had a different response. I did have a different response. Uh, Todd had a reputation that uh, I, I had never, never met him, of course, but uh, he had a reputation that had preceded him amongst various people in the evolutionary creation community, and uh, he had a reputation as being somebody who is very smart, uh, who, has, uh, who understands uh, evolutionary biology well, 
and, uh, and uh, is, uh, is interesting to interact with. So from my perspective, I couldn't wait to meet Todd. And uh, so we assembled, and here I was just all excited to, uh, to meet this person I've heard so much about. And, uh, and, and we kind of ran around the circle in that first, uh, first uh, half hour or so together before we went for dinner, and, and we introduced each other, uh, we introduced ourselves, and, uh, and uh, it came Todd's turn, and, he's, and his statement as we began was, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Amen. So I, uh, I began to wonder, just how is this going to go? And, uh, <laughs> it, we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit in, well, in a minute Well, keep going, so Daryl. How, how did it go? What happened from there? <laughs> uh, well, what happened from there was, uh, was we went for dinner. And dinner is a good, a, good, a good place to kind of work through any, any differences because you're all sitting there together sharing, sharing the bread and, uh, and enjoying uh, telling just general stories. And, uh, and we went for dinner and, uh, and, and uh, we were asked, each one of us, there was, it wasn't just Todd and I, there was a group of others as well, about six, six or seven of us, and we went around the table and it took a quite a long time, a couple of hours, I think, for us all together. I guess that was part of the time they were serving the meal, but um, we went around the table together, each of us telling our stories uh, as to how we uh, are basically our personal testimonies. And uh, it was a very moving time, actually, and uh, we, um, we, it, we, we got to know each other right from that very beginning time uh, in ways that uh, are much different when you're sitting around the table together than what you are, what you would, what the kinds of interactions that exist over Facebook or whatever. It's a whole different world when you're having, when you're having around, sitting around dinner and talking about your own personal story, uh, your relationship with Jesus, your, your personal testimony, how you became a Christian, uh, and, and all of those things uh, really kind of changed the dynamic. Um, we went from there in, into, uh, so the evening finished up well, uh, really, but then the next morning we uh, continued the discussion and uh, we started to talk a little more frankly now, not, not just over dinner, but now we, we were at the process of beginning to discuss our, our differences. And uh, I um, um, went ahead and uh, I felt it was important to be frank. Uh, I'm a fairly frank person, I think, sometimes. And uh, so I, I uh, made the comment uh, to Todd uh, as I thought if I didn't, if I wasn't frank, we wouldn't get anywhere. And so I made the, the decision to, uh, to, to tell um, Todd that um, I felt as though if that, you know, it was his background, uh, if, if he'd um, been to someplace other than Liberty University, uh, perhaps he might have uh, thought of things a little differently. Am I remembering right that you said if you'd had a real education? I, don't, I hope I didn't say that. <laughs> okay, that may be my coloring of it. <laughs> but, um, uh, and I uh, indicated that if he'd known a little bit more about evolutionary biology, that perhaps... Uh, he, uh, he might not hold the views that he had. And, um, and, um, Can I pick that up now? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because that to me was like, it's the trigger, and I'm going to unleash on him now. <laughs> so I started rattling off all my qualifications. You know, my PhD was in macroevolutionary uh, protein evolution. Um, I didn't hide from evolutionary biology. I taught evolution at the collegiate level. Um, worked in comparative genomics, published papers, evolutionary biology themes, regularly attended evolutionary biology conferences, and of course, I'm relishing this as I am dumping it on him. And I finished with, what more do I need? And what did you do? I recognized I was wrong. <laughs> and I have to say, that, what, his reaction to me, I was like, ready for a battle, right? I was, this was it, this is what I'd come for, and it's going to happen now. Gloves are off, and I'm going to pummel him. And for him to turn around and say, that was poorly chosen, and I did that wrong, and I'm sorry. And he continues to talk about that as that dumb thing he said that first time, that first weekend. That's not what anyone's accustomed to hearing. People don't go into these sorts of debates admitting that they're wrong, right? 
because we all model this after high school debate, where you can't leave any point unchallenged. So we have to have answers to everything. And admitting that you don't know something, well, that's a weakness, and you're going to get counted off for that. And that moment was one of those key moments where I thought, that's, this is weird. This is different. And I was still sort of hot and bothered by it, but at the same time, hmm, well, that's, maybe we can have a better conversation than I thought. It was kind of fun. I remember, by the way, one in the other direction is in our office, and I don't know what you said, Todd, but you said something that was inflammatory and over the top. Can't imagine it, can we you? We do that. We, um, we, we do it. And I thought at the moment that that's the kind of thing that some people would go out in the hall during the break and they would tweet it and said that idiot Todd, what he just said. But I remember what Daryl said at that moment was, I don't think you actually meant that. Would you like to try again? And that was an amazing moment. Um, because from my perspective in this, we were trying to do something other than to get all the points, to win all the points. There was something about setting this in the frame of worship that something different was happening in our goals. Yeah. It's super difficult when you're in your echo chamber. You're used to expressing yourself in certain terms. And when you get together with the other side and you have to talk about these things, you realize even the words that I use to describe what's going on aren't even fair to what's actually going on. To say that I believe in the Bible and Daryl doesn't believe in the Bible, that's not, that's not it at all. There's something far more complicated going on here. And I still don't know what it is, so don't ask. Um, <laughs> but it's more than just, I believe the Bible and Daryl doesn't. And when, when, when we ended up in um, Christianity Today and somebody posted that as a comment on the article, I came to Daryl's defense and said, that's not true. He does believe the Bible. It's just really, it's just different in certain ways. So at that first meeting, you said that something happened to you when you first heard Daryl pray. Oh, yes, yes. So the, the, the gather, practice, witness. Part of the practice is that you read Scripture and pray together. You practice the virtues of Christianity. You go back to, you know, what you learned in kindergarten, um, practicing prayer and practicing Bible study, etc. And so I do, I do recall very distinctly sitting there, and he's praying, and I'm listening, and this uneasy feeling started creeping into my stomach as I realized this guy could be a deacon at my church. He sounds just like everybody else that I've ever heard pray in my conservative southern church, which was, again, one of those unsettling moments, and I realized this is, this is way more complicated than the echo chamber. The echo chamber just doesn't the echo chamber just doesn't cut it. It doesn't, it doesn't describe the complexity of what's going on. Daryl is not a heretic, and I am not a fool. And although on the book, I am the fool. So, um, so it, it's more complicated than that. And this is something that it, it wasn't progress in the sense of we're going to resolve our differences, but it was progress in a whole other world of there's something so much bigger and more important than the arguments that we're having. So let me jump to that. Um, one of the challenges that people regularly hit us with is you're not making any progress in the truth. And in the narrow sense of resolving the origins debate, we're not. Hmm. Maybe. Okay, we'll get to that. But I, I felt like from that first meeting when each of you would tentatively, maybe strongly say, Todd, you actually are a real scientist. Daryl, you actually are a real Christian. I'm still trying to work out how that all fits together, but that's not what I would have said before. And to me, that's progress in the truth. And another aspect of progress on the truth is I've said, you know, after we'd been meeting together for about two years, I thought I could say, we have the ability for each of you to ask an honest question to be understood across the divide and for an attempt to be given to an honest answer to the question. And that is not to be taken lightly. What do you see as progress in the truth? Where are we in progress in the truth? 
it's a, it's a great question. Um, we, uh, the, the greatest truth is love. And so uh, given that the, the greatest truth is love, we have made tremendous progress. We have, uh, have learned that even though, uh, you, uh, even though we think vastly different about a particular topic, and even though uh, I think that Todd and his view is harmful to the church, uh, quite har very harmful to the church, and he thinks my view is harmful to the church, uh, and we've been able to express that clearly, and I understand the sincerity with which he holds his view because of our, the amount of our time together. I understand the sincerity in terms of why he puts so much effort into uh, and, and makes so many sacrifices. Uh, he's made tremendous sacrifices to hold the position that he has, to be the leader that he has within this organization. Um, that despite these huge differences that we have in terms of our positions, they are, they are grounded in wanting to be what God would have us to be. And as we have come to realize that they are grounded in being what we, would have, what we believe God would have us to be, that we have learned the greatest truth of all, which is love. So as Jesus prayed in that, in that prayer on, in John 17, immediately before going to Gethsemane, may they be one, Father, as we are one, so that the world might know. Um, the, there are the three dimensions to that. One of the dimensions is simply the, the statement, as we are one. Well, we know what that means, as we are one, different persons, uh, but one in unity in the Trinity. Uh, may, th um, may they be one as we are one. May we, be ha may we in our differences, be one nevertheless uh, as a unit, as we participate in God, uh, so that the world might know, so that the world might look on and see not the loud um, clanging cymbals and, uh, and, and, and uh, banging gongs, or however that's stated by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, but what they see is faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Todd, what do you see? Yeah. Ditto. Um, <laughs> see if I can be more eloquent. Um, you know, part of this has helped me to understand part of what we've learned here in our interactions is um, the idea of what, what moves us to adopt our positions and what moves us away, moves us to change our minds. You think, you know, going into this that you think, okay, I'm going to lay out my, my arguments and we're going to have a rational discussion and it's going to get heated, but then we're going to have a little devotional and it'll be okay. Um, and it's so much more than that and it sort of helped me understand it's helped me understand, I think, how all people who are heavily invested in this discussion approach this. We're not doing this simply because of rationality or logic or the way we read Scripture or something like that. There is the work of the Holy Ghost also in this process. And this then ends up being a mystery to me, right? So I, thinking about you know, why do I hold my position? Well, it's, it's this giant package deal, right? I've got my theology, I've got my science interacting in the way that I think they do, and it makes sense, and it's all balanced, and if someone wants to come in and change this entire structure of my way of thinking about my Christian identity, well, that's not going to happen. And I think it's the same for folks in Daryl's camp. You can't just do that, right? You can't just expect them to dump one theology and pick up another one. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. It's going to take the mystery of the Holy Spirit, which then leads me to the question of why in the world doesn't the Holy Spirit convict us all of the same things? <laughs> and, well, that's a different mystery, and I don't have a theology degree, so. Rob, got any insight on that? <laughs> Let's keep working on that one. Okay, good, so, yeah, sounds good. So you started to address a question that I wanted to bring up, which is, what would change your mind? And that gets asked a lot. Um, and you've started explaining that it isn't just this one fact or one argument, but there's this package deal that this all fits together and it's going to radically change your life in all sorts of ways. 
to change your mind on this one issue. And perhaps that's part of why this one issue is so important, because it's wrapped up with all these other things. And so if you're getting origins wrong, you're probably getting a lot of other things wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's connected to why it matters yes. to get this one right. Yeah, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right. And so for me, thinking about what would change my mind, I tried to ask this, I don't know, about a decade ago, what would change my mind? And I couldn't come up with a good answer. And I think the, the real answer that I've been looking for is faith. Um, and if I am to change my mind, it's got to be a full act of faith in the calling of Christ Jesus on my life. And so far, I haven't had that call, so, or I haven't heard that call. Yeah. But I'll keep looking. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's so much more than intellectual. That's the real key issue here that we think that we're having a debate about evidence and rules of interpretation, and we're having a debate about the entirety of people's understanding of the universe and God and our place in it, and that's pretty big. So, Daryl, what would change your mind? When I, um, in one of our first meetings, uh, I made the statement that, um, that I couldn't foresee anything changing my mind. That uh, I remember I, that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just, uh, I, I just, uh, and, and that is still actually true. To be honest with you, I just can't foresee. Uh, I feel that evidence is so strong that God has created through the evolutionary process. Plus, I think it fits in beautifully with uh, with theology and enriching enriching the way that God God works in the way that I experience God working within my own within my within my own life. And, and when I made that statement, however, it was, uh, there were some individuals that and, and, uh, came to me afterwards and said, you can't make a statement like that. Um, it wasn't taught, it was somebody else. Uh, because that just shuts down the conversation. And, but, you know, I, that's, I, had, I felt I had to say what I was thinking. And of course, Todd had done the same thing by his, the statement that I, that I told you that he had made. And, and, and so it seems like that was the, both of those things happened right at the very beginning, and uh, it seemed like that would be the end. But what I think we all learned uh, as time went by, it wasn't about changing each other's mind. Uh, I probably continue to hope for some period of time uh, that maybe Todd would change his mind, and, uh, and, I, and I, I, for, the, for the first uh, three or four meetings, I was still thinking about, so I just need to explain this to Todd. <laughs> And maybe, every, maybe there'd be some change. What I think we all came to see, all of us that were involved in the conversation, came to see that it really wasn't about changing minds, but rather it was about understanding each other's hearts. And, and that takes work. It takes real work and, and prayer and times of study and thinking together and, and in order to really understand each other's hearts. And that's what the conversation is about. And I continue to feel as though, I mean, I have come to feel as though even though Todd thinks so differently than me and even though I think that it's, it's harmful, I can also see much good in what Todd, uh, in, in what Todd is doing. Uh, I can also see the spirit that he's bringing into, into his community. And I can see uh, the, 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 what is being accomplished. And so I actually, even though I am concerned about the community as a whole, um, I think that the Spirit is working with Todd and, and, and working through Todd, and maybe he wouldn't be able to do the wonderful things that he's doing if he changed his mind. Hmm. So, um, as you stand at this point, um, I want to ask you what your hope is, what you long for in looking towards the future. Uh, Todd, why don't you go first? Yeah, um, I want to echo something Daryl just said. When I started this conversation, when I taught evolutionary biology to Christian students, I would tell them that there were Christians who, no, there were people who believed in evolution who claimed to be evangelical Christians. That's how I phrased it. Um, I always tried to make that careful distinction because I was always highly suspicious that that could possibly be. Um, and of course, I had to repent of that because I don't know how to explain him, but there he is. <laughs> 
Um, but more than that, the more we've been together and the more I'm seeing the gospel is not the age of the earth. The gospel is not evolution. And the gospel is far too important to put stumbling blocks like that in people's way. And I'm going to say something right now. I don't want you to repeat this because I don't want this getting out to other people. But if you can't be a Christian like me, then you need to be a Christian like him. Because Christ is more important than what we think about creation. And if you do become a Christian, the Spirit can work on you, and I can trust that he'll draw you to the correct choice, which is my position on creation. (laughs) But your eternal fate, Jesus Christ, is so much bigger than what you think about science or evolution or whatever. Don't let weirdos with strange views on science like me hold you back from coming to Jesus. And what do I hope for the future? Um, I hope we can continue this. I mean, that's something that I really am pretty passionate about. I don't want this to wither and die here with just Daryl and me. I've, I've had people tell me that, you know, we're weird and unusual people in our debate, in, in, in our camps, and so they can't imagine this ever spreading. And I look at the culture at large, and I, I only have to say two words to, to cue you in on the problem there. Well, problem. The dysfunction there, President Trump, right? Doesn't matter who you are, you've got strong opinions about President Trump, and they might be diametrically opposed to other people. And I'm not saying he is a problem, I'm saying the problem is the way we have, the way we have come to view um, politics in this country has started to mimic a lot of what's going on in, in the creation evolution world. And I really want us to be able to dial it down and have reasonable policy discussions again, rather than you're on that side of the aisle, therefore you are evil and wicked and I must oppose you with any means necessary. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I appreciate the way that Todd has brought that to beyond origins. Uh, most people that I know um, actually don't care very much about this particular issue that Todd and I do care deeply about because we're both scientists and we both uh, are concerned about students who are, who are in science. And, uh, and, uh, and so for us, the origins question is, is, really, is really important. Most people I know, uh, it's, for most people I know, it's not, a, it's not particularly important. But there are issues that are important in everybody's life. And there are differences that we hold. Uh, politics would be one uh, within the church, but it's only, it's only one of many that exist. And so what, what we have, so what's next? Uh, I hope that what we have learned, uh, and, and in some small way, um, that uh, people will, others will come to see that our lessons from the origins discussion have a much broader application. What we learned, thanks to Colossian Forum bringing us together over these last six and a half years of, um, of uh, conversation and growing to understand each, each other's heart, is that that's the kind of thing that needs to happen in the church in general. That as we have these differences, that we can be a witness so that the world might know that here's how it's done within Christian communities. We don't all think the same way about politics. We don't all think the same way about women in ministry. We don't all, and we could continue on. Um, But we all love each other. We all uh, live together as a unit within the body of Christ. And indeed, that diversity is a good thing because that diversity is where we especially learn to appreciate each other. If we were all the same, it would be pretty boring. But because and through our diversity, we get to interact with each other and we get to love each other in a way that we would never otherwise be able to experience. So on that, um, as I mentioned in the introduction, these two guys were an experiment for us at the Colossian Forum about what it might look like. Um, And from the work that that these two friends and brothers have done, uh, we've developed a small group process that people are using in their churches to engage all sorts of divisive topics, um, including politics. 
And so um, I would invite you, if you see that in your church or other Christian setting, um, that you could take up this practice, again, following in what they've done. Um, you could do it on origins, on sexuality. We have a number of different topics. Um, furthermore, just as we've operated as a guide to walk alongside um, these two friends, um, then we can walk alongside a church in crisis to help um, assess your situation and to help to transform those conflicts into opportunities for spiritual growth and witness. And so I just want to shift to the audience Q&A by thanking you as my brothers and friends for, um, for walking this journey with us and opening up a pathway that's open to many. Thank you. Hi, I'm Karen Salpi from the English department, and um, well, I get to do Q&A. I want to thank you for being here again. Um, I want to start by asking if either or any of the three of you have just one simple habit that helps you um, hold back the impulse to try to persuade or win uh, and helps you listen better, because I need to learn that. <laughs> um. I guess one of the big ones that I think of is um, stop formulating your answer when they're talking. That's a real helpful thing. Just let them get it out and listen to them and, and stop, stop getting your rebuttal ready. Because if you're getting your rebuttal ready while they're still talking, you probably don't understand their point and you're just going to put your foot in your mouth. <laughs> um, I, th I think um, Paul's exhortation to pray without ceasing uh, would be, this is probably exactly the kind of thing that Paul was speaking of, and that is just uh, when, when it's, things are starting to, uh, when you sense that, when I sense that um, things are starting to heat up a little bit, I might say something I'm going to regret, that I whisper a quiet prayer saying, Lord, help me to say the right thing, do the right thing, make sure that this is dedicated to God. Thank you. Can I give one? Yes, please. For me is to um, be aware of my own anxieties and fears, so that as we're working through something to realize that I'm putting a lot more energy into that comes out of my fear of what's going wrong. And if I can actually say out there, this is what I'm afraid is going wrong, then all of a sudden the people on the other side will join me in protecting that treasured thing that I'm hmm. worried I'm going to lose. I'm still chewing on uh, what you were talking about a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm thinking about the, the focus on one of you said, if I'm wrong about this, I'm probably wrong about a lot of other things. That's a threat to your core identity. And uh, Thomas Merton wrote something once about if, if you focus on your own sin, that's enough to damn all mankind. It's, and the only uh, solution to that is to focus instead on God's grace and love. If, if we stop thinking about ourselves and think more about the God that we love and serve, that might reshape us, so I appreciate what you're saying. Um, one of our audience members asks, have any of your opinions changed about creation or evolution throughout this process, or has everything stayed the same? That's a great question. Um, about, the, about the science itself uh, and the theology itself, um, I'd say the answer to that would probably be no for me except that it's been enriched uh, because it's caused me to think more carefully and more deeply. And uh, so uh, from my perspective, given that I, I, I do happen to believe that, uh, that God has created through the evolutionary process that this is God's truth, then being able to think alongside of these wonderful uh, individuals has just uh, helped, me to, uh, helped me to grow uh, in, in seeing the, the richness of creation, the richness of, uh, of, of Christian theology. But uh, in terms of uh, did God create through the evolutionary process, um, uh, no, that's still the same as what it was um, uh, 15 years ago. I'm always changing my views um, because we keep making new discoveries and learning new things. And because of that, my understanding of humanity and what humanity is and how it relates to God, that's constantly, that's constantly changing. 
dealing and talking with Gerald and talking with other people who view even you know, the composition of Genesis very differently than I do, um, that's really driven me into a lot more theology work than I used to do, um, which has enriched tremendously my perspective on the faith. Uh, and so, yeah, I would say uh, there's a certain core essential identity there as a young age creationist that I retain, but at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that goes on the outside of that that has been remodeled significantly. Last year, Arthur Brooks presented a January series talk about how divisive issues in our society can't be addressed until one's contempt for those they disagree with has been overcome. As two Christians who disagree on divisive issues but maintain a friendship in spite of it, what practical advice can you offer for overcoming or heading off contempt for the other? You've answered that in part. Get off social media. <laughs> Say that or, again? Or use, it, or use social media for pictures of kittens and your kids. That, that's fine, but <laughs> stop, stop arguing the stuff there because it's highly defective. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a big thing to me. Um, you need to talk to people. And, and, and the echo chamber is such a, such a, what do you call it, temptation. It's a lure. It's like yeah. the sirens, and it's drawing you to wreck on the rocks um, because you think you got it all figured out and you think your world makes a lot of sense and then you get together. And the other thing that we didn't really mention in that first weekend, I, I did try to lob a lot of good arguments, good scientific arguments in your way and you gave me a lot of reasonable answers from an evolutionary creationist perspective which left me annoyed. Needless to say, and yet at the same time, I could, I, I perceived better why the things that strike me as very decisive do not strike you as at all decisive. Um, and so, you know, evolutionary creationist as the straw man on the page became a living human being, and the things that I wonder about, well, I can ask him, and he can tell me, oh, this is what I think. And not every one of those answers is completely unsatisfactory. And I would say, um, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, uh, ask, ask the person if you can have dinner with that person, and sit down over dinner, and, uh, and, and talk about each other's family, and talk about personal testimony, and then talk about um, where you disagree, and, uh, and, but do it in that context of, uh, of a warm, of building a warm relationship. You know, I worked on contempt some for our politics work because it's an important theme there. And so the, the definition I carry around is contempt is to, um, to say that another person is not worthy of consideration. And uh, one of my um, theological consultants on this work, she just baldly said, contempt is not an option for a Christian ever. And um, so it's been important for me to watch my own heart and to see that I do treat people with contempt and to realize that that's a sin just as a starting point. Hmm. I, I want to say there are many, many questions coming in with specific questions about your beliefs about origins. There, the BioLogos website and the Core Creation... Core Academy website. Core, core Academy sure. website um, present basic uh, idea, more than basic ideas, and, uh, and you can contact either of them later. We thought we might not be able to settle the debate today, so we'd focus <laughs> on other things. You're good, but... Um, yeah, we got three minutes left. I yeah, mean, we, we do. <laughs> what have you learned about God from your conversations with each other, and where have you been surprised about who God is? He is so much bigger than I thought. And I mean that across the board. I don't just mean in terms of perspectives on evolution. I mean that as perspectives on the entire structure of doctrine in the church. It's very easy, as I said, in your echo chamber to think my system of doctrine and understanding is that is God. And to realize there are whole other ways of thinking about things. And certain things, I think, are pretty essential, but there are a lot of other things that I have been 
my eyes have been opened to a great extent. And I, and I would say that um, what I've learned, um, and this surprises me uh, that, that I didn't know it before, but um, like I do now, but I think it's that God values diversity, that God wills that we think differently. That when we think in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the different members of the body, I've always thought of that about different talents, that some people are good at in front of, uh, some people are good at singing, for example, others are good at speaking, and so on. Uh, I think Paul had more in mind than that as he wrote that. I think the Holy Spirit had more in mind than that as, uh, as, as, as the Holy Spirit inspired uh, Paul to write that. God values diversity. And I think the reason that God values diversity is because he wants us to be drawn together in conversation. And, and, to, uh, and, and I think that there's things that happen in the midst of diversity that would never otherwise happen. And uh, so that's new for me to recognize that the, the extent to which I think it's okay to think differently and that God actually probably even wills that we think differently. Uh, I, I want to thank you all for being here. I want to thank our guests for being here. They will be out front to sign books and chat with you. Uh, please don't ask them to settle the debate today again. Um, yes, thank you all for being here. And thanks to the Issachar Foundation. Thanks so much. All right, thank you.